The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Well, good morning, everyone. As you settle in, I hope you got a chance to grab communion elements uh, on your way in because we will be taking communion at the conclusion of this sermon. Um, And as you're you're seated, I I was just thinking about this a lot this week. When I was uh, in high school, many years ago, I can remember arriving at uh, James Madison High School over in Vienna as... Go Warhawks! (laughs) Amen. Go Warhawks. And for me, it was, a, it was a brand new environment, a drastic change from what I had experienced before because I grew up up to that point being homeschooled. And so I arrive on the scene as the new kid with the awkward haircut, the underdeveloped social skills. Really not much has changed. <laughs> but I was short. So I also had that going for me. <laughs> I remember being uh, in that new environment, overwhelmed, all the reasons in the world to be insecure. And this insecurity can get exposed in a number of different places. I I mean, honestly, I don't know if I had talked to a girl other than my sisters before I arrived at the school. And here I am in those first few weeks in gym class. And some of you know how this goes. You're in gym class and and a bunch of the guys are going to play basketball. And what they do is, is the best basketball players are the team captains and they start picking people down the line one by one, right? Y'all remember this experience? It happens a lot. And so, so it goes something like this. They pick the tallest and most athletic, the, the most skillful basketball players, which I was not. And they begin working their way down to eventually, it's the kid with terrible asthma and me, right? <laughs> but actually, that wasn't my experience. I, I, I remember being in this context where I had every reason to, to feel insecure, not, not a lot of friends, not a lot of, uh, of comfort. And there was one guy in particular who was uh, eventually a varsity basketball player, and he was always the team captain. And when it came time for picking teams, he would look at everyone there and, and knowing, knowing my lack of skill, my lack of ability to play the post or rebound or shoot or anything, he would always pick me. Not only would he pick me, but this is what blew me away. He would pick me first every single time. And I just remember, remember my, my friend picking me first every time. And at first when he did that, I felt apologetic about it. Like, no, seriously, man, you don't have to do this. Like, pick, pick who you want on your team. Pick someone who's actually going to contribute to the score. But no, he would pick me. And eventually, I had to grow to realize that he picked me again and again and again first to be on his team because he was kind, because he was a friend, and because in, in a way that only a freshman, goofy kid could express it, he loved me. He actually wanted me to be on his team. And can I tell you that, that just that realization, at least in that context for that period of the day, I had security that I hadn't earned. I had uh, some, some safety in an environment in which I could have been extremely insecure. I had this confidence and this calm because Sean, my friend, would pick me for his team. Now, I wondered this morning if the kindness of a friend in, in such a simple way could accomplish that kind of shift in me, this identity shift in which I'm no longer insecure, but I, I'm secure in, in who he's declared me to be. I wonder if we could just grasp a little bit how much we're loved in Christ, what that would change in us. Do you know how radically he loves you, that, that he has pursued you? And if we could just get that, as our identity, that I am in Christ, I am his, I belong to him, he wants me. If we could grasp that, what would that change in us? 
in our perspective of ourselves, in our perspective of our purpose, of our life. This is what I hope to do, and this was Paul's prayer throughout the letter to the Ephesians, is that the people he's writing to would get this, the depth of God's love toward us in Christ. The last few weeks and continuing today, we've been talking about identity, who you are because of what Christ has done. And if you are in Christ, this should change everything. If you believed in him as your savior, then you have received a new identity. So then your identity is no longer in what you can accomplish, but in what has been accomplished for you. Your identity is no longer in your suffering and what you suffered, but in what he has suffered for you. Your identity is not in what other people say about you or even what you say about yourself, but what he says about you. Your identity is no longer in your sin, but in your sainthood. Do you know that? If you have your Bibles with you, I'd, I'd invite you to turn once again to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where we continue our blistering pace through the first two sentences of this letter. And if you read these these verses, verses three through 14, as one continuous thought, what you see in it from Paul is this celebration, this this song of joy. It's, It's like a hymn from Paul declaring the goodness and glory of what God has accomplished and granted to us who are in Christ. That is those of you who are believers to the praise of his glory. This is to the delight of God that he has done this. And so if you missed the first few sermons of the series, I'd really highly encourage you to go back and, and listen to those sermons because it will give a lot of the, the context and the foundation for what we're building here today. But this is what we looked at last week and the week before. As believers in Jesus, you are justified saints. You are declared righteous before God. Your legal standing is that you are righteous before God, freed from the penalty of sin. But in this life that we're living in right now, you are being sanctified. You are being formed in Christ's likeness, made to look more and more like him as, as the power of sin is overcome by the spirit of God in your life. And yet we look forward to something so good and glorious. We look forward to glorification where, where we're eventually, finally freed from the presence of sin completely and where we stand face to face with Jesus and we look like him, holy and blameless, righteous before him, as God in Christ will complete the work that he began in our salvation. And so last week we began looking through this lens at not just who we are, but now what do we receive as we are in Christ? Let's, let's read some of these verses. It says in Ephesians chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So we see once again that in Christ, I am chosen to be and become holy and blameless. And if you're taking notes, you might, might write this down. I am chosen for something. And that is that at the end of this race, we will stand before Almighty God, holy and blameless before him. This is what he's determined before the foundation of the world. This is, this is what will happen as we endure in Christ. He will see this through. You, believer, will become like Christ. We will become a clear reflection of our Lord. Secondly, we see that in Christ, I am predestined for adoption. It says in love, he predestined us for something, for a, for a destination, a new horizon that we will be adopted into his family as sons and daughters. Romans talks about this, that, that we look forward to this with longing. It says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, see then 
this word predestined, it ought to give us hope. It ought to give us encouragement. It ought to, to give us reassurance that we have a sure future if we are in Christ. We used this analogy last week that, that for those who are in Christ, it's as if you are secure in his fortress. And he has predestined that that fortress will prevail. That fortress will endure. And if you are not within that fortress, this should not cause you to fear, but instead receive this as an, as an invitation. Believe in him. Step into it. Live in this new identity. Receive salvation today. And then what we look forward to in that salvation, as we, we concluded last week, is an inheritance, the fullness of an inheritance in Christ. A few years ago, I remember my, my dad calling a meeting with his six sons. This is not something he ordinarily does. He, he pulled us aside and he was kind of, he seemed heavy laden. He seemed like he had something really important to tell us and, and he gave us a little bit of a, a preview of it. He said, I'm, I have something important to tell you. He gathers us together and he says, I have some bad news and I have some good news to tell you. And, and so he gathers his sons and, and we're all thinking the worst. Like we're thinking he's, he's dying. He's, something terrible is going on, but it's really not quite that bad. He tells us, the bad news is this, I have to review my will with you. And I have to go over the details of it so, so that when the time comes, my health is fine, but when the time comes, you know how this is all going to unfold. And then he says, the good news is, as we've been looking at this, you can't inherit debt. <laughs> awesome. That is good news, actually. That's, that's wonderful news. That was many years ago, and uh, we've often comforted ourselves in that news. But, but here's the thing. When an inheritance is given often among siblings, it can be contentious. I'm grateful that it won't be with my family. But also, this is, this is the goodness of the inheritance we have in Christ. I need you to understand this. It does not get divided up into smaller and smaller parts as people come into the kingdom. Now, Jesus talks about these workers that come in at the very end of the day and work a little bit, and they still get the fullness of the inheritance. They still get a full portion as they believe in Christ. This inheritance is not, is not minimized as more people come in. And yet we as believers are, are predestined for the fullness of our own inheritance in Christ. This is your portion in him. It says you will receive every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in full in Christ. We are adopt, adopted, predestined for adoption as sons and daughters and we'll see the fullness of the inheritance and we can rejoice now in that inheritance. We can celebrate now in that inheritance. We can put hope in the day in which that will be fully realized. We can celebrate now because it says, in him, verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. So I want you to see the, the third thing that, that we see this morning is that in Christ, what do you receive? In Christ, I am redeemed. In Christ, I am redeemed. He has redeemed us. Holy God has looked upon the, the debt of sin that we owe, and he has paid it in full to set us free from the prison of sin, to take us into his own possession. On the cross, we sing Jesus paid it all. He substituted himself for us, taking on our unrighteousness and bestowing on us his righteousness. He paid our ransom in full that we might have new life. This is what redemption is. It's, it's like the, the paying of a ransom to set free the prisoner, that we can walk into to freedom. The offering of Christ as, as a full payment for everything that we owe to set us free from the debt of sin. Romans 6.23 says it this way. It says, for the wages of sin is death. I mean, the payment that is due for sin is death. 
but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eternal life. Eternal life. Just as we identify with Christ in his death, we, we get to join him in his resurrection. He invites us into that. But as good as that is, and that's really good, that he paid for our sin. Isn't that good? As good as that is, it's even better than that because we're not like a criminal let back onto the streets who has to check in with our divine parole officer. No, it's not like that for us. When he redeems us, he welcomes us into his own family. He welcomes the, the, the former criminal into his own family, into his own home. He prepares a place for us in his kingdom. We are his for eternity. And we, we don't just receive a payment for our debt. We receive the full inheritance of being children of God, every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's paid for our ransom with his own blood. His wounds have paid our ransom. And this is what I want you to understand. This is what was necessary for our sin. This is what was due for our sin. And yet Jesus went to the cross willingly. He had every opportunity to turn back to, to set his face away from this task, but he went to the cross because somehow he saw you as worthy of that sacrifice. He saw you as worthy of the cross, worth it to him. Do you have any idea how valuable he has declared that you are through what he has done for you through the cross? The son of God exchanged himself for us in all our unworthiness to cleanse us and make us his children. Two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. This is our hope in life and death, that because of what he's done in redeeming us, we are not our own anymore, but belong to him. We are his treasured possession. He has bought us for himself, back to himself. So then in Christ, we are redeemed. Fourthly, in Christ, I am forgiven. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Do you know that if you believed in him, he has forgiven every failure, every fault, every trespass, both past committed and those that we continue to stumble in today, every single sin nailed to the cross. And so, so what happens when we forgive others is that, that forgiveness is never free, is it? If someone's sinned against us, if they've wronged us, if we choose to forgive it, what we're actually doing is we're not just ignoring it. We're actually absorbing the cost. Because what we do in forgiveness is, is we say to the one who owes us a relational debt, you don't owe me anymore. You don't owe me anymore. And we take on that relational debt. We absorb it into ourselves. And Christ has done this with our sin. He has taken the full wrath of God upon himself for us. J.I. Packer says it so well. He says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, moved by a love that was determined to do everything necessary to save us, endured and exhausted the destructive divine judgment for which we were otherwise inescapably destined and so won us forgiveness, adoption, and glory. That means that in the day in which we stand before him, he will complete this, that we will stand before him holy and blameless. I think sometimes we worry about that day in which we stand face to face with God. And we worry that, that somehow we, though we're, we're clothed in blood-washed robes, will we'll be found out. That what's underneath that will be exposed. When we hear about the, the love and grace of God toward us, rather than us having confidence that we'll be able to raise our gaze to meet his, our heads go down. 
And we wonder, will I really be accepted? Will I really experience this? And what we have in Christ is this, that you are already forgiven, completely, entirely, made new, washed, not just declared righteous, but you will truly be holy and blameless. There will be no blame upon you in the eyes of God, and there isn't even now. And so when we hear this, if you're not yet a believer and, and yet you know that you have this, this weight, this baggage of, of sin and wrongdoing, if there's a holy God, you know you fall short of that holy standard. There's no room for a casual response to this. Jesus came to do what only God can do, to forgive sins. And God came to make sinners, that's us, right with him for eternity. And that's available to you if you turn to him, if you receive him. Fifth, we see in Christ, I am justified by grace, by grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor from God. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And so we're gonna talk about grace a lot over the coming weeks because this is such a key part of what this letter to the Ephesians is all about. But it's so important that you understand this. In forgiveness, we choose to no longer hold the person who wronged us accountable for their actions. And as Christ-like and as good as that is when we extend forgiveness to others, what it doesn't actually do is it doesn't actually nullify the crime, does it? Like if someone steals from us, we may be able to forgive them, but they will still face the legal consequences of that action in this life, won't they? So even though we say, I forgive you, that doesn't, that doesn't cancel out the consequences, that doesn't change the obligation that is incurred as we are sinned against. But here's what happens in the grace of God. In the grace of God toward us, not only do we receive forgiveness, him declaring that he forgives us for what we've done, not only does he set us free from our obligation to sin, but he takes it so much farther than that. In his grace, he declares us justified. He declares us just as if we never sinned no longer facing the guilt, the consequences, the shame. We are just as if we've never sinned. Romans 3 says this. It says, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, declared righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So our legal standing before him is not that of someone who's skipping out on the consequences of our wrongdoing, but rather we are counted as having never done wrong in the first place, because Christ has taken that all on himself. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a precious gift? You are declared righteous before God if you are in Christ. And this gift of his grace alone, nothing we did earned this. Nothing we can do earns this. Nothing we can do can repay this gift, nor does he expect us to repay it. But by a gift, God has given us grace, not just a little, but he has actually lavished his grace upon us. I wonder if we we understand that word lavished. My children every Christmas, my extended family, they lavish gifts on my kids, lavish them beyond what what, what is reasonable in, in the opinion of a father. But don't tell that to the kids because they will open present after present after present and it will never occur to them that this is lavish. They just keep going. They love it. They rejoice in it. They, they delight in it. it is, there's never a notion that this could be too much, too lavish. What they do is they simply receive it with joy. Do you rejoice in his grace towards you? Or do you just thank him for his grace and feel like, I'm so sorry that you had to do that for me, Lord? No. He lavished it on you because he loves you. Do you rejoice in his grace? Do you delight in his grace? Do you embrace his grace towards you as a gift from him? 
a gift that he was pleased to give. He glories in our redemption and forgiveness. He glories when we receive this gift gladly. Everything about what he has done for us is to the praise of his glory. Sixth, we see that in Christ, and lastly, I am sealed by his spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance. If you're a believer in Christ, what this means is that you have received the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. It says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Moises, I did say it was my final point, but not really, okay? <laughs> it's uh, number six on your outline, but there's a couple sub points here we go. I want you to see this, this, this guarantee of our inheritance, that we are sealed with the Spirit. This idea of a seal, it's like the signet ring of a kid, king, that it is a stamp of, of his authority upon us, a stamp of our security, that we belong to him. You believer, you have received the Spirit of God in your belief when you heard the gospel and when you believed it in it. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. Have you heard the gospel? And have you believed it? If you have, you've received his spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. You belong to God. And this is not some kind of tenuous relationship where you're, you're barely holding on to him. No, he's holding on to you. You are secure in his grip. If you're in Christ, you have his everlasting stamp upon you, this assurance that he will protect and preserve you until you reach the fullness of your inheritance in Christ. Do you ever want to know for certain that you're saved? Have you ever wondered this? I, th I talk to people all, all the time who, who kind of struggle with this, the assurance of their salvation. Am I actually saved? Did I get baptized at the right time? Did I say the right words? Did I walk the aisle solemnly enough? Did I get baptized in, in the right manner? All these kinds of things. I don't know if you ever wonder about these things, but wouldn't it be good to just have assurance, to know, to know, that our salvation is secure. Well, it says here that the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is that seal. It is that stamp. It is that, that security. Romans 8 talks about this, and it says how we can know that we have the Spirit, how you can know for sure that you have the Spirit of God. In Romans 8, chapter, uh, verse 14 to 18, it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Are you led by the Spirit of God? For we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, so what does this mean? If you want to know that you have the seal of the Holy Spirit, there's two ways that Paul talks about in Romans that we can, we can see it. We can see the evidence of that in our lives. The first is this, that children of God, those who are in Christ, are led by the Spirit. Have you experienced the, the leading of God's Spirit in your life? As he's guided your actions, your decisions, your conversations, have you experienced his leading in your life? If you are, let, let, that, let that give you confidence in the presence of God's spirit, the permanent presence of his spirit in you, the believer. And secondly, it says, children of God, pray by the spirit of God, and crying out, Abba, Father. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray like this, to pray Abba, 
a word that often gets, gets translated or given this childlike connotation of something like, like daddy, which it does have that, but it, it's even more than that. It's a term of respect, like papa. And it's as if Jesus is teaching his disciples to respectfully and yet intimately talk to their dad, their heavenly father. Do you know God as father? Do you relate to him in this way? When, when life gets difficult, when you're overwhelmed, do you find yourself crying out, Abba, Father? What that is, is evidence of the, the spirit of God interceding on your behalf, communicating in a way in which we were unable to prior to coming to Christ. This dialogue of prayer, not speaking to an unhearing, unresponsive force in the universe, but rather convening with the Father who loves us. That is a sure characteristic of the indwelling spirit of God in your life, the very spirit that has sealed us with the assurance of our full inheritance in Christ. These are the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And I want you to see that all of these are a gift. And that's great news. And scripture invites us that, that all we need to do is grasp this. All we need to do is trust in Jesus as our only hope of salvation. And that if we do that, we receive all of this, that our sins are forgiven both now and for eternity, saved from the penalty of sin. That life in relationship with God begins now when we begin to experience every spiritual blessing of children of God. And so if you've never received that this morning, and I'm sure there's some of you here who have been wrestling with this for a while. You've been feeling this draw to the Lord, to God. So I just want to ask you, do you want that now? Do you want that, that kind of assurance? Do you know you need him and do you want him? If so, you can receive him into your life right now. We, we saw in the passage what happens in order to be saved. It's as simple as this. It says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. All that's required is that you hear this gospel, this good news that when we were lost in our sin and brokenness, Jesus, the son of God, came and he lived among us. He died in our place to forgive our sins and trespasses, to redeem us for himself. And through his resurrection, we now have this opportunity to, to share an eternal life with him. If you hear this gospel and you believe it, you have received the seal of the Holy Spirit. You belong to him. There's this old story about a, a Frenchman named Charles Blondin, or Blondin, or Blondine, or I don't know how French people say their names, but we're gonna call him Charles. And in 1859, uh, Charles was in America and he was going on a tour because Charles was a, a famous acrobat. He was a circus performer and he would come and he would teach other people how to do circus performances, but he was also the entertainer. So he would bring crowds together to especially watch him do his tightrope walking act where he would stretch out a tightrope across great distances and walk across it, impressing and wowing the crowds as his stunts got ever more dangerous and ever more entertaining. Well, his, his most famous stunt was in the summer of 1859, in which he took a cable and stretched it across Niagara Falls. 160 feet above the crashing waves beneath him, a, a tightrope in which if you walk across this and you take one little misstep and lose your balance, you will fall certainly to your death. And you can imagine at the time where there's no television, there's, there's no TikTok or anything else to entertain, that this was quite the attraction. 25,000 people came to watch him perform this feat. And so Charles Blondin, he, he goes to this place, he extends this cable over the falling waterfall, and he 
asks the crowd before stepping out on it, do you believe that I can walk out and back across this cable? Do you believe? And the crowd begins to be whipped into a frenzy and they start chanting, we believe, we believe. Sure enough, when the time is right, when the frenzy is at its peak, Charles Blondin begins to step out onto the cable and he walks out about a quarter mile across Niagara Falls and then back. The crowds cheer. They're so excited at what he has accomplished and what they've witnessed. Well, his antics and his acts get bigger and bigger after that. He has to keep bringing the crowds. This is his way of, of getting fame and notoriety. And so the next time he does something more unusual, the crowds gather again. He goes out on, onto the, the cable. And the stories about this, I don't know which ones are true and which ones are myth or legend, but, but one story says that he gets halfway across the cable and there's a boat down below. He lowers a rope and pulls up a bottle of wine to himself to enjoy as he's on the cable. This is the kind of crazy stuff he does. Another time he takes a wheelbarrow across the cable, but he's got to keep upping the ante to keep drawing the crowds back to himself. But each time he gathers the crowds, each time he's going to do a new stunt, he asks them again, do you believe? And they chant and they, they cheer and they say, we believe, we believe. And then he comes with his best stunt yet. He says, do you believe that I can walk across this cable carrying a man on my back? And they chant, we believe, we believe, we believe. So excited. To which he responds, now which one of you <laughs> will be that brave soul? Silence. <laughs> Utter silence. Until one brave soul, Charles Blondin's manager, slowly steps to the front. He puts the full weight of his body on Charles's back, knowing that one false breath, one sneeze, one itch at the wrong time could be their certain doom. He climbs this full weight on the back of the acrobat, and they step out onto that cable as one. There was one person that day that actually believed in Charles. By the way, they made it back. But there was only one who believed in Charles. Now, now, there were a lot of people that believed that he could do it. There were a lot of people that, that thought that, that it was possible, that it would be entertaining, certainly, that they'd love to see it. I think in a lot of ways, this is a par parallel for us. We believe that God exists. We believe that there are consequences for sin. We believe that there's a life after this. But there's a big difference between believing that and believing in, isn't there? And when we talk week after week about being in Christ and what we have in Christ, all that is required is one big step of faith to put all of your weight for your salvation on Christ. To stop just believing that, to believing that he's real, that he lived, that he, he died for someone. But no, realize that he did that for you and that by putting the full weight of your belief on him, you can receive eternal life. You can receive forgiveness of sins. You can receive redemption through his blood. You can receive this all as a gift of grace. Would today be the day when you, you stop just believing that and you start believing in? And you receive this free gift of salvation that he offers you. Will you be the one to step out in faith? To step out on what feels like a, this, this dangerous cable? No, it's, it's not that at all. In fact, this is the most secure place you can possibly be to be in Christ. We're gonna pray and then we'll take communion together in response and then we'll close with some worship. But would you, would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, I pray right now that, that there would be at least one here this morning that wants salvation. 
that wants what you offer and has realized today that, that we cannot save ourselves, we cannot make ourselves good enough to stand before a righteous God. But Lord, I thank you that you've made a way for us to be cleansed, to be righteous, to receive eternal life. If there's anyone here that wants this this morning, all you have to do is simply accept that you are lost in your sin and need saving. Believe that Christ through his death on the cross has provided the only way of salvation and confess that he is your Lord. Lord, I pray that someone right now within the sound of my voice would respond to this gospel. In fact, I ask, Lord, that many would respond to this gospel. Lord, I pray for anyone who's here and on the fence, casually looking at you from a distance, that today would be the day that they step out in faith and put the full weight of their belief in you for what only you can accomplish. And Lord, we thank you that for those of us who are in Christ, we have already received this blessed inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of you who work all things according to the counsel of your will so that we who were among the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of your glory. Lord, we thank you that we have heard the word of truth. We thank you that we believed in you and we thank you that because of that, we are sealed with your promised Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.